Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. This is Chapter 2. The same faces repeat themselves. I'm the reason you sick ones pray to God as they lie there still. I'm the reason they cry out because I kill. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. Before I talk about this episode, if you listen to this week's PDP-10 podcast, the flagship podcast of the All Ports Open Network, you'll know that last week I resigned from the All Ports Open Network. Don't worry, it was a completely amicable parting of ways. I was reaching a point where I was stretched too thin, and a lot of things that were important to me were getting put on the back burner. Something had to give, and it was my involvement with the All Ports Open Network. I wish them the best and will continue to support them in any way I can. You'll still hear my voice from time to time over there, most notably running Waterdeep Dragon Heist on the Apon Plays stream once they launch that. The fine folks at Apon will also still show up on You Are Not Alone and Refugees of Esmeralda as well. There shouldn't be any major interruptions of my podcast based on this change. This episode may not go up on iTunes until Wednesday or so as I'm waiting for the RSS feed to update, but all the You Are Not Alone episodes will be available on my snazzy new website, youarenotalonepod.com. I also have a Kofi and Patreon set up, both under Blaine C. Martin. I hope you'll consider checking those out and supporting as you can. Hosting fees and equipment upgrades are expensive and every dollar helps. I want to start by saying thank you to Doc- Dr. Black Hat for being my very first Patreon sponsor. It means the world to me. If you want to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at EsmeraldaPod on Twitter, or email me at Blaine, that's B-L-A-I-N-E, at YouAreNotAlonePod.com. So this week, I sit down with Jeff Stormer to play Lovecraft-esque. Lovecraft-esque is an amazing story game by Becky Anison, whose new game Bite Me is on Kickstarter now. Check it out and Joshua Fox. In Lovecraft-esque, there are no dice mechanics or randomization. You play through a number of scenes, each which introduces a new clue to the cosmic horror waiting at the end. Once you've done that, you journey into darkness and face the existential dread that awaits you. It's a really beautifully designed game, and I highly recommend picking up a copy over at blackarmada.com. This episode features some topics of loss of control, and some very minor body horror. I just wanted to warn you in case either of those things are difficult for you. With all that out of the way, let's jump in. So this week, I will be playing Lovecraft-esque with none other than Philadelphia's Jeff Stormer. That is I. Hey Jeff, how's it going? I'm doing great, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing lovely, thank you. So uh, I'll just start out very briefly by saying, why don't you tell these lovely listeners some of the many, many, many things you do. Yeah, of course. Uh, I am a podcaster. I host Party of One, which is an actual play podcast focused on two-player role-playing experiences. Uh, I also host All My Fantasy Children, which is a character creation, storytelling, and world-building podcast powered by listener prompts on the OneShot Network. I am the unofficial, official LARP designer of the Olive Garden Restaurant, 
I, mean, I will be made official when they finally answer my tweets. Oh, we're going to make it official. Well, we're going to the 2019 is the year that we make it official or it's the year that I get sued by the Olive Garden <laughs> one way or the other. It'll, it ends one of two ways. You'll get your answer. Uh, I also uh, have designed other games that do not involve chain restaurants, which you can find at jeffsormer.itch.io. And I think that's pretty much everything. I do a lot of I do a lot of little things here and there. I am I'm all over the place. Yeah, so since the last time we talked, the, uh, the one-shot network is a new thing, which is real exciting. That is a new development. That's a, a change in statuses for one of your, your podcasts. It's true. Congratulations. That is, uh, I think, pretty much the dream of just about anyone who is part of the actual play podcast movement. Yeah, it's a, I, it kind of... I can't say it came out of nowhere because there were a lot of talks around it, but like... I'm really happy with it. Like I started listening to tabletop podcasts because of one shot. And I, I campaign was the podcast that made me say like, I want to be involved in this space. So to be on the same network as those shows, as well as all these other shows made by very close, wonderful friends of mine is it's an honor. It is an, it is, it is an honor and a dream come true. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am just. I'm so excited for you, and I'm. I'm excited to see what this brings because I'm sure, really, it can only be good things. Um, oh yeah, I can't be. I can't be happier about it. Like, I mean, the reason, the real reason that I wanted to be a part of the One Shot Network was because I wanted to work with a bunch of people that were already my friends, but are also just people that I'm constantly, slightly in awe of. So getting so being on the network means that there's going to be a lot of cool stuff around that. There are people that I want to be collaborating with. So I'm going to make every effort to do cool collaborations with them along the way. That is absolutely fantastic. And uh, I I feel like most people listening to this probably know about Party of One. Uh, And if you don't, if it sounds familiar, it's because I pretty much stole this idea uh, entirely from you. After starting to listen to Party of One, I was like, what if I just did horror games uh, one-on-one? I think it's I think it's a great idea. I, 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 I give you my full blessing to steal because after all, talent, talent borrows and genius steals. So just a note for our listeners, we have some lines and veils that I won't go into uh, that we established via a survey I sent out. And we do have the X card in play as as much as the X card can be in play digitally, mm-hmm. it is uh, an idea that we have that should anything bother us or we just don't think uh, we want to be part of the story we're going to tell, we can just say, I want to X that. Yeah. And uh, no questions asked. We just shift gears. Mm-hmm. So I think we start on just a massively wide shot where almost all you can see is wheat fields. And a long stretch of road. And slowly, the camera zooms in. And we see a fire hall out in the middle of nowhere. And we see a car, just a single car, driving down this long expanse of road. What kind of car does Rocco drive? Rocco drives, it is, it was at one point, it's always been part of his gimmick. It is a, a a an old like Thunderbird, like an old sports car or, you know, uh, a muscle car. That's the term I'm looking for, like perfect. an old muscle car. And it's part of his like rock steady gimmick, right? Like he's 
he's kind of like a tough guy, a cool dude, but it's also sort of throwbacky, right? He's a little bit of a greaser. But at one point, it was supposed to be like, this is the coolest car. He's got the slickest jacket. And now it is a little bit beat up. It's a little rusted on the edges. You know, it's a little bit worn down. Uh, the hood kind of rattles ever so slightly because it's bent just a little bit. It's It's not quite in the shape it used to be. It still has beautiful white trim on black steel like on black paint with white trim but it's it's now there's spots of rust around it perfect uh it is i don't think there could be a better car for rocco rocksteady rambos that's drive we see this black thunderbird with white paint pull in to what is a, a pretty packed parking lot for the fact that there are no cars on the road you know, this part of the world loves its wrestling. And so there are people who are waiting in line for the wrestlers to show up. There are local contractors and handymen that got paid to come to this old fire hall and set up the ring. And so I think Rocco like notices that and is like, oh, wow, they've they're paying people to set up the ring today. That's that's exciting. And is like because I think this is like you said, like there's already like a crowd. So this feels like a little bit like more like more promising a show and so i think rocco probably steps out like with the jacket on and like this like the the switchblade coming in and out and is like flicking it in his hand and is feeling pretty confident is feeling okay like is like all right cool and is like putting on the character a little bit but i think there's also a moment just before he steps out of the car where his hands are just at 10 and 2 and he's just sitting like he pulls up and he's just sitting and staring forward and he doesn't move for a moment. And he blinks and he blinks again and he breathes deep and he like lets loose his hands and you see that they're just a little bit white like he has not moved his hands from the wheel at all in this drive. And then he just OK. And he flips out the knife, opens the door and just throws out his arms. He's like, Rocksteady's here, y'all. And like struts inside Uh, and the crowd, like three people clap as he walks in. One person's like, oh man, I can't believe I used to watch that dude's dad. It's an older man talking to his son. And he's like, his father was my favorite wrestler when I was your age. What is on, uh, what is on Rocco's leather jacket? Is it just a plain leather jacket? Are there patches? I think there are. I, I I like there being patches. I think there are not all of them are purely decorative. Some of them more obviously than others are there to serve as actual <laughs> patches and patch up areas that have like fallen through a little bit. But I think there's also some like just kind of decorative patches of different dive bars and breweries that like he has either wrestled at or visited. And then in sort of bejeweled letters, it just says Ramboza on the back. It does not say Rocksteady. It says Ramboza because, you know, he is he is making a fair. He's as much as he is Rocksteady. He is also a Ramboza. So he's put that on his back as sort of to be like, yes, I am a legacy. Like I am a I am I am here as a second generation. Perfect. So you throw open the doors and march into this fire hall. And it's a pretty pretty large 
central area. You could tell that this is definitely kind of the main kind of rental hall for probably 25 miles. Mm -hmm. And they built it with that in mind. Uh, So it could probably house a wedding of a couple hundred people. Mm -hmm. And so there's a ring in the center and there, the ring, I think probably at this point is mostly put together. There are, are folks huffing folding chairs out those kind of classic just brownish gray metal folding chairs racks of them all around being set up around the ring what do you do i think i i think i just note everything and i'm looking around and i beeline it straight to the the promoter's office in the back and like I, I, I stopped by there just long enough to look at the booking sheet, which has been probably just like taped to the wall. It's nothing special. And I, I'm just like, I know, you know, who I'm wrestling, what the fall is, what the time is. And then I just give a give the briefest look back to the booker. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll be out back if you need me. He, uh, I think he's a probably guy in his maybe mid forties dressed as nice as he's probably ever going to dress. And it's still like a suit jacket that might've buttoned Mm -hmm. when he was younger over top of uh, a kind of worn out t-shirt. Yeah. Who, who is the local favorite in this area? Um, I think it is Axel Everest, the mountain man. (laughs) I got a lot of them. I got Um, a lot of them. Don't worry. Perfect. So I think it's an Axel Everest t-shirt Yep, that he probably got when Axel first started wrestling. So it fits a little, not as tight as the, the suit jacket is fitting, but certainly it could be a better fit for him. So he nods when you acknowledge the call sheet and says, all right, uh, changing room is, uh, is the, the women's room across the, across the main hall. Mm-hmm. We figured two men's room, one ladies' room should be enough for this show. Uh, so if you need to change, that's where you can do it. And I think, like, he kind of just looks over himself, and he's wearing, you know, blue jeans and, like, his wrestling boots and a jacket. And he's just, like, he kind of just shrugs and, like, walks off and, like, goes towards the dressing room area, but not to, like, get changed, just to, like, hang out back there. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that, and I correct me if I'm wrong, that probably the closest thing you have to friends are the other wrestlers, because... Yeah, you, I think they're the, the people that I interact with the most. They're the people that... They're the only people that I'm seeing, you know, more than... Like, that I'm seeing in long enough that I think it's worth remembering. Yeah, most of the... I mean, most of the fans and most of the promoters you probably see once a year, twice a year, maybe, if it's a bigger town... Yeah. Um, but the wrestlers, I imagine you cross paths with, like, not every show, but every couple of shows, you probably see the same faces repeat themselves. Yep. So you throw open the door, and this is obviously the larger of the two ladies' rooms, decent-sized area. The stalls have kind of been repurposed as changing rooms. A couple chairs are set up there. I think this is a fire hall where you can probably still smoke inside, even though that's probably not oh. the hell. Oh yeah, they're. I think it's. I think it's less that that you're allowed to, and more that like no one, no one back here will stop you if you do. Yeah, I mean, who's gonna walk into a room full of semi-professional wrestlers and be like, "Y'all need to stop that"? Yeah, hey, hey. 
So there's an old like butt can. I think it's a Folgers coffee can that mm-hmm. people are throwing their butts in as they finish their cigarettes. And you see uh, see some other wrestlers. A couple of them, some of the guys you know are younger on the younger side, still a little bit mm-hmm. doe-eyed and fresh, have already changed into their costumes. And then there are a couple of the ones that you've known for decades at this point who are just sitting around in their civvies waiting until a little bit closer to match time. Mm-hmm. So is Axel Everest, the mountain man here? I don't think so. Actually, you know what? I think he is. I think if he's if he's like the local if he's the local guy, if he's the local like hero, I think he's probably here kind of for lack of a better term, running court. Like he's kind of here being the locker room leader and like making sure that everyone is where they need to be and is talking to the people that they're supposed to be wrestling and is kind of like overseeing the show partially at the request of management. Awesome. So I think Axel sees you and I and he's been at this at least almost as long as you as a as an actual wrestler. You've certainly got mm-hmm. more years of being on the road than him. And he comes up and he he's, you know, he, he lives up to his name. He's about six and a half feet tall, almost as wide at the chest, although he's letting himself go in the last couple of years and it's got a little bit more gut than barrel chest. He says, yeah. Rocco, how the hell you been? Uh, you know, you know, the road is the road is what it is. But uh, I've been about getting through, you know, it ain't killed me yet. That's all. Lord knows it's tried. That's all we can ask for. That's all we can ask for, Rocco. That's all we can ask for. You know who you're wrestling? Uh, Yeah, I'm wrestling. Uh, It said... Oh, I was trying to be cool and act like I act like like I walk like I did the whole like vet thing and I walked in and looked and then it's gone. It was in one ear and out the other, if I'm being honest. I know how that goes. That it, all the names blend together. Okay, was it Jake? It was a Jake or a Johnny. Oh, is any of that ringing a bell? Oh, Johnny, this is going to be a good one. It's grease, greaser versus greaser. Uh he just goes by Johnny Grease. Johnny Grease? He mo- motions over, and there's this kid. He's uh, He's got to be the youngest one in the room, maybe 19, wearing a pair of like mechanics coveralls with a Johnny patch on it, mm-hmm. and then a leather jacket, fresh and clean, no patches on it, no patches needed, hair done up in a pompadour. And he just turns, and he gives you just the biggest slimiest grin uh, i just dead-eyed staring back like mm. he goes ah you the old dog i uh you the one that got me fighting i am like the, the i am your opponent yes he just it's the type of grin where if you were a more violent man. Oh, I'd want to slap it off his face, but I, I think it, uh, I think for him, I think for him, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, we're I'm your I'm your opponent. Do, do what's did you get a, did you get a chance to look at the booking sheet? Like, what's the what's the story here? What's the fall? What's the what are we doing here? Is this like a respect angle? Am I are you trying to like win my handshake? Are you trying to put me <laughs> down? What's what's the story here? And I think as that is happening, I am pulling out like a cigarette <laughs> and smoking it like 
not even really like just listening enough so that I know what what like I need to be ready for. So it's a couple hours later, the first couple of matches, and obviously Axel Everest is getting the closing match, but oh yeah, uh, the Ramboza name carries enough weight that I think you're probably the second to last match. Yep. So we see, we see, uh, I think the promoter probably does the announcing too. I don't think this is a oh yeah a fancy enough establishment to have like a proper announcer. Yep. So we see the gentleman in the in the you know, too tight suit jacket in the Axel Everest, the mountain man. It's this absolutely absurd. Like the image is fading from so many washes, but it's a picture of Axel in his heyday, just all muscle with a massive lumberjack's ax over his shoulder. And then you look at him and you know that this dude has probably never swung a proper ax. Oh yeah. No, 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 no way. Um, but he just looks, he looks the part. And uh, and the announcer it says, "Oh, this match, this match, we got the old bear versus the young dog. We got his on his uh, God. It must be fifteenth match here. Rocco Rocksteady Ramboza. And there's a, I mean, kind of a spotlight. It's probably like a jury rigged like." construction mm-hmm. light oh, on a sure. swivel pole that they use to lead you from the dressing room to the ring. What does Rocco's entrance look like? Uh, Rocco's entrance is it. Rocco's entrance is the sound like canned canned motor sounds like room room, like hit this like loudspeaker and he comes out, he comes out, you know, back to the crowd so they see the jacket they see the Ramboza name and he flips a switchblade and like he like he spins around just in time to flip I think it's two switchblades right like he flips them and then basically like like wings like kind of like magician flips like magician flips them in his hands a little bit as he opens them just to be like look I'm dangerous I have two knives and then he flips them back closed, puts them in his jacket pocket, like puts them in pockets and then like slides into the ring, still wearing his jeans, still wearing his boots, still wearing the jacket. I'm wearing like a white tank top. He slides off the jacket. He goes to hand it to some like to one of the to one of the ring crew and like stops, stops, like holds it up so that the crowd can see it and like. Gives it like just holds it up and like admires it for a moment, folds it back up, and then just like, you know, two like the fingers to the eyes, like I got my eye on you. Oh, as he hands it to the ring crew. God help me, I would watch Rocco run steady Rambo's I'm Pretty sure he's great. Eddie is the thing. Eddie Day, and so the announcer after your whole entrance says, "And new to our neck of the woods, Johnny Grease," and I think that Johnny's entrance. I, like he played off not knowing you. Mm-hmm. I think his entrance is almost an exact ripoff. Oh yeah, of yours. There's the motor sound. He's only got one switchblade, but he's doing like switchblade tricks the whole way out, and like doing all this kind of agile nonsense that like a young guy can get away with. Oh yeah, um, maybe even like some roundhouse kicks just to look really cool. But it is startlingly similar. 
he gets into the ring and he he doesn't have the kind of timing and pacing that you have. He rushes through it and he pulls off his jacket and he's wearing, like I said, mechanics coveralls, but nothing underneath. So his bare arms are showing and just tosses the leather jacket out of the ring, kind of lands almost comically like over the head of one of the ring crew. Mm-hmm. And he just points at you and he's like, I got you in my sights, old dog. And I I I I go to like shake his hand and then do like the pull back and like slick back my hair. And like as I and you know, we get in each other's face, like the referee's gotta pull us apart, and I just kind of like as we're all as we're doing the very pro wrestler where we're miming, like, I'm gonna get you. I just kind of like like amidst that, you know, the crowd is starting to get riled up as we're about to like throw down and brawl and i just let out like a real quick real quick real quiet slow it down kid let the crowd take it in like you don't you don't got to go at 11 for moment one you've got this we're gonna we're gonna do fine i think at that johnny grease actually like really shoves you in a way that you weren't quite prepared for Mm -hmm. and it forces you back a step or two and at that moment Everything goes quiet, and there's a sound echoing in the distance that's almost like an out-of-tune violin, just an awful kind of croaking sound. And for just a moment, the entire auditorium is empty. Everything is still there, all of the ring, all of the seats but all of the seats are empty and there's not a face to be seen. And there's just that awful croaking sound. And I, I stop and I look around and like the one thing you never want to hear as a wrestler is like silence because that means you're not doing your job right. So I think like the croaking sound and that, and that, that like quiet is just, like, I visibly am, like, unnerved, less so by, like, everyone disappearing and more so just that quiet. More so just not having the noise of the crowd and the mill of people at, like, the at like the snack booth. I'm just like, I need something. So I, I just start, like, I, I, I kind of shake the, the ring a little bit. So I get that the kind of the creak of the, the creak of the ring or of like the ring restraints and the, the ropes, like everything is creaking a little bit. And I'm, I'm just kind of like trying to shake out the tension from my shoulders. And I just like hit the ropes just to get the sound of all, just to get like the ring noises kind of echoing in, in the space. And as you do that, the, the kind of the ring noise the stretching of the ropes as you press yourself against them. All of a sudden, there's a roaring, and the auditorium is full again, and you find yourself flying at Johnny Grease in the middle of your first move of the match. What does that move look like? I think that move, because I think I've hit the ropes and I'm running, I think it ends up being sort of a body check 
So, like, I run, and I collide, and as I collide, I bring my hands kind of around, and then I clap. Like, I clap on the other side, so it creates that big sort of, like, slamming him between my arms and, like, into my chest. So, I just, you get that really nice visual of, like, a collision. And he kind of falls backwards to the mat, and I stop, and I look around, and I shake it out, and, like, I give him that kind of, like... Very, I get, I kind of slap my chest a little bit and I tell him to get up and then I point to a rope and we do the, we do the, the, the wrestling, you know, shoulder check spot where he runs the ropes and hits me and I don't move. And then I point to a different rope and he does it again. And then he goes for a clothesline and I duck it. And then like we, we, and then we start getting into the match, but we do that. We, it, it starts out with that kind of shoulder checking, sending him to the mat in that way. Perfect. I think that is a good place to end our first scene. I think so. So, in each scene of the first two parts, the narrator introduces a clue. So my clue was the silence and the sound of croaking. And one of the things that I really love as a tool for both player or all players to kind of set up their next scene and their clue is each scene in Lovecraft-esque ends with us jumping to conclusions. Mm -hmm. So we are each separately going to write down what we think the final horror that Rocco is going to confront Mm -hmm. is. We're not going to tell each other. Uh, We're just going to jot it down to kind of fuel our future setups. Uh, And it's probably going to change every scene because every scene someone new gets to introduce or a uh, a new clue is introduced by a different person. But through us introducing clues that lead to what we think it is, we'll kind of beautifully meld our horrors together. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to jot down what I think the final horror is. All right. I am done with mine. Uh, Whenever you are ready, we can move into scene two. All right. I'm ready. Perfect. So this scene, uh, you will be the narrator. Okay. I will take control of. Our witness, Rocco Rocksteady Ramboza. Okay. I think that the scene takes place on the road after the show. I think you got paid about like maybe 200 bucks. You know, the match went, the match went okay. It turned out being kind of a, you know, I think, I think you get the pinfall because it's sort of like a, you've got, you've still got stuff to learn. This is going to be the first step in Johnny Grease's story of becoming his own wrestler. You know, and it puts you over as the veteran so that you can challenge for a title and lose later. You're driving out. What do you, what is, what is Rocco listening to? Like when he drives and describe, describe Rocco driving and describe like what he's listening to, what he's doing, where his attention is at, all that kind of stuff. I think that Rocco's posture driving is almost, there's almost a dichotomy to it because he is kind of mentally at peace while he drives. Mm -hmm. But if you looked at him, you would think that he is tense. Hands gripping the wheel, knuckles going white. Like he's got something to prove Mm -hmm. to the steering wheel. But despite that, He's he's at relative peace here. I mean, this is his. If there is one place he's spent the most time, it is the road. And I think he just watches the horizon. And even though it's night and he can barely see the horizon, he counts off the yellow lines ticking mm-hmm. past. 
and just stares, almost dead-eyed ahead of him. Again, almost counterintuitive to the overall look and feel he has. He's I mean, he's got to be listening to like eighties hair metal. Mm-hmm. That's got to be. It's I don't I don't think that that was necessarily Rocco's favorite type of music growing up, but it's become so part of his shtick. Mm-hmm. That's just it's background noise now. It's, to him it's the cd that he owns right like it's the yeah. cd that it's the it's the it's the cd or the 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 spotify mix that he has like he doesn't have you know his daily mix is like well you listen you listen to two hours of hair metal yesterday so i'm assuming you want to listen to it today yeah so, and it's just by the point how where it just is what's playing yeah and i imagine that like on the off chance that a show doesn't have it, like he has it there because mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's sometimes his walkout music. Yep. Um, but it's just, it's always going in. Like I said, it's become kind of white noise to him. He doesn't even, he doesn't sing along to it. He doesn't nod his head to it. It's just, it's there. It's a road sound. Yeah. So what is Rocco, what is Rocco doing? What is in the road around him when the, playlist that you're listening to cuts to or cuts or fades out to static mm-hmm. whether or not you're listening to the radio whether it's a spotify mix a cd i think it fades out to static i think that since we established that it's corn country i i think that there's still just corn fields Rocco's on his way to some motel that he likes to stay at. It's real cheap. Um, he stays there enough that usually if he pays cash, they cut him a little bit of a discount. And 200 bucks isn't a lot of money, so he needs to make sure that he stretches that as thin as possible. So he's driving an extra kind of 15 or 20 miles to get to this motel that he knows will be will be cheaper than all of the rest. And I think maybe there's a... a dusty not unpaved road but a road that was paved years ago and has patches missing and just is covered in road dust and and field dust uh off to his right and as soon as he passes that is i think when the static takes over what what does he what does he do when the static takes over like what 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 is his immediate response i think because the the CD that he's listening to has become so much a part of his road noise. It is immediately startling mm-hmm. uh, to Rocco. Oh yeah, for sure. That the music cuts out, and I think he kind of jumps a little bit. And it's weird too because it's a CD that he's listening yeah, to, right. which means that like if it was the radio, or even if it was like Spotify and a bad connection came over, like you could understand the static. But this is a CD. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be static. So I think he kind of like immediately has a little bit of a freak out mm-hmm. um, because so much of his life is built around routine. Yeah. That something this as simple as it might seem, uh, seem as startling as it is to his routine. It unnerves him enough that he pulls the Thunderbird over. And I, I think you pull the Thunderbird over just in time for like the static to like i think you pull the thunderbird over you you go to the radio and as soon the first button you hit whether it's like play eject whatever like it 
seems to fix it. Like it, like the, the static stops, but you're not hearing hair metal. You hear, you know, it cuts to like it cuts to keyboard, keyboard synth wrestling theme music, like you know that down, 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 and it's like that very wrestling, and then suddenly it's well, hello, wrestling fans. This is this is Tornado Tommy. And it's like, and you're like, what? Like, it's some, some wrestling broadcast, some like, you know, public access wrestling show. And it's like, my guest at this time, Johnny Grease. Now I have a question for you as you, you're hearing this. I've, well, I have a few questions. Okay. What's your immediate reaction? And the other question is, what's, what was Rocco's, you know, you don't need the specifics of it, but like, what was Rocco's greatest promo? Like what's the what's a what's a promo a backstage interview that Rocco like feels like he really hit it like he really nailed it on the head. All right, so I think his immediate reaction is one of kind of like tense stoicism. Tense because I mean he's obviously very anxious about the fact that like this is not part of his routine and this is not there's something just wrong. About this beyond beyond the fact that it's Johnny Grease. But the fact that it's Johnny Grease makes it even worse. I think maybe in the midst of this kind of just like dead-eyed stare ahead, uh, we see like one moment of Rocco losing his cool and he just punches the steering wheel. Okay. Like he wanted to punch Johnny's face when he gave him that smile. Okay. As far as the promo goes... I think there was a a show early in Rocco's career that this was before his father passed away. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it was the last show of his that his father was able to make it to. Okay. And the reason that Rocco thinks it's his best promo is not because he did anything particularly spectacular. But because his his father kind of introduced him into the the like post show interview, mm-hmm. where Rocco's father was at the point where he was kind of just he had he had retired, he was done with the road, and whoever was running the interview, I think maybe maybe it was Tornado Tommy. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think that I think that that's perfect grabbed Rocco's dad and tried to interview his father Mm -hmm. and Rocco's dad was just not having it. And he's like, Oh, you know, he's like, Rocco, get over here. Uh, And he drags Rocco over and he's like, I, the person you really want to talk to is my son. I mean, his match was fantastic. And you don't know if your dad, like or Rocco doesn't know if his dad really believed that the match was fantastic, but just hearing him say it. Oh yeah. Makes it his favorite post-show interview to this day and so you you punch you punch the wheel and like you sit there for a moment agitated right like you're you're not and you're just listening and at first the promo like you're 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 listening to it it's playing and at first it's very generic like it starts out very it's very you know, they ask about his, they ask about it like he's trying to earn a title match. 
He's got a long road to go. Like he's got a match against he's got a match against the the Inferno. And at first you're just like, yeah, okay, kid, like dial it back. Like, you know, you're you're thinking the same things you were thinking earlier. And then he says something. Then he says something that is like very specific, like a very specific turn of phrase. He says, like, this is in my blood. This is, this is, this is more, this is more than just, like, a title. This is more than a match. This is blood. This is family. This is in my name. This is, this is everything that I have worked for since I was a kid. I grew up on the road. I know this. And at first, you're like, well, why is he saying that? And then slowly, slowly, you start, like, I think you start realizing, what do you do when you realize like what he's saying is increasingly I think it starts out as not quite the same, but increasingly word for word the promo that you gave after your father told you that your match was spectacular. Oh that is fucking good. Um I think at this point now, I think that generally Rocco is a pretty calm person. Mm-hmm. Uh part of part of the detachment personality is just that you know Rocco doesn't let shit get under his skin oh yeah and like even you sm- can't right yeah smarmy smarmy bastards uh like johnny grease like almost anyone else in the wrestling circuit if johnny grease had done that to them they would have beat the shit out of them in, uh, of johnny grease in the locker room mm-hmm. but Rocco's kind of got this reputation for just always letting it slide off and I think this this moment, we see what might be Rocco at kind of the angriest he's ever let himself be physically. Mm-hmm. And he just, he punches the radio. And I think that maybe this is like, the car itself is old and worn out, but there's a pretty decent radio in there. One of the newer oh, yeah. ones with like, not a full like computer screen in it. But it has like a nice LED display. Yep. And I think he just punches the face of the radio as hard as he can. And I think the second you punch it, like the screen cracks and like your hand is like a little bit bloodied and your hair metal just clicks right back on. Mm. And all you're left with is those cornfields. And those 417 yellow lines that you still have to get to to get to the next to get to the next town. And I think that is the end of our scene. I think so. God, that was good. Mm-hmm. So the clue here is obviously Johnny Grease's promo. Yeah. So now we jump to conclusions. Do we, we do we erase what we've previously written or do we expand upon it or do we repl- or do we um, just add to it? I think you can replace it or I like keep keep the original. Okay. Uh you could change it entirely, you can add to it. But it does recommend during kind of decompression after the episode just kind of mentioning the progression of your ideas. Okay. I've jumped to my conclusion. Excellent. So have I. So I think this scene begins with the sound of static and we see the staticky screen of a television 
and it pulls back and we see Rocco sitting on the edge of a motel bed that's got just those ugly paisley sheets. Awful. Behind him, kind of out of focus from the camera, is a painting of a ship on the sea. What does Rocco like to have as a, as a drink when he could, like when he first settles into a hotel room? I think he likes I think he specifically avoids like coffee, soda or anything caffeinated partially because like he's been on the road so long that I think it like specifically like he doesn't need the jitters. So I think he goes for I'm going to say a hot toddy. I'm going to say it's something very like idiosyncratic. It's something very like odd. Because I think it's something that he specifically is like, I want something warming. I want something comforting. I, I want to decompress because I've been on the road for like seven, you know, what what feels like 17 hours. Yeah, I love it because it's it, it at first blush seems so absurd. Mm hmm. But when you actually like really think about it, like what could be better for someone who just got out of a ring and got done driving to the next motel than this like kind of warming, soothing and it's and it's got beverage with just a little nip of little nip of whiskey. It's got honey, so it soothes his throat after like screaming promos. Like it is, he it is. I think that we I think we see the briefest flashback of like just hundreds of hot hotties, right? And like. Of him, like, brief shots of him, like, screaming into the microphone, like, you get back here, you scum, sucking slug. And then, like, a hot, like, drinking a hot toddy and being like, oh, oh. <laughs> I love, uh, yeah, I love that visual of, and every time it cuts to him screaming in the ring and every time it cuts to a motel room, they're barely indistinguishable. Yeah. There's just yeah. one small feature that alerts you to the fact that Every one of these little mini flashbacks is in a different place, but they could all be the same. Oh, they could all be the same place. What kind of whiskey uh, does he put in his hot toddy? I think it's whatever is, I think, no, I don't think it's whatever's in the mini bar because I don't think he wants to spend that kind of money. I think it is whatever's cheap. Like, I think he, I think he's 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 discovered that like he does not need to put money into it to get the effect that he wants and also like if he goes with too nice of a whiskey it drowns out like it gets drowned out by the honey and the tea so i think he's like i think he goes for something with a little bit more alcoholic burn to it so an old crow or a heaven hill yeah perfect I, that is that is exactly what i imagine him <laughs> Imagine him drinking. That grounds the hot toddy so much more, too, mm -hmm. into this this character. All right, so the static kind of swells back in after the, all of those short little flashbacks. And we see this particular hotel on this particular night with Rocco sipping a hot toddy. What What television station does Rocco want to find? Rocco wants to find, I'm going to say, Animal Planet, because I think he wants something with no people in it. I think he wants to be by himself. 
Sirocco takes another sip of the hot toddy and begins to play with the remote. One of the uh, one of the most frustrating parts about being on the road where you're visiting multiple different places is figuring out what channel the station you want is in this new little jurisdiction of cable. But eventually, Rocco finds Animal Planet. And right as the television tunes in, there's just this grisly scene played out. And it's almost jarring, but it cuts away immediately. And we'll say just because it's the only the only person I know in this milieu, Richard Attenborough is talking about talking about animals. And that show ends. And what's the next show that comes on? Uh, the next show that comes on is is uh, Steve O's Animal Stunts, <laughs> in which. Steve-O, like, goes to a jungle and does, like, ridiculous, dangerous things. Like, is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab a man, grab a manta ray by its tail. And it's like, why? It's like, A, that's, it gotta be animal cruelty, right? And B, like, don't. Like, just yeah. don't. It's just like, I'm gonna put bees in my mouth. And you're like, don't put why, bees why in you your mouth. That? Why are you doing that, Steve-O? So, Steve-O's animal, animal stunts comes on. And I mean, at this point, is Rocco even watching? Really? I don't think so. I think it's just what I think it's literally I think he's just sitting in a chair. And like just letting like the noise wash over him. And there's the human sounds, too. I mean, they're they're drowned out mostly um, by the animal sounds. We're going to the jungle. (laughs) (laughs) The walls are so thin that you can hear. Folks talking in the other rooms, although they're. The the actual conversation is nearly impossible to make out. So you're done watching TV. You're done drinking your hot toddy. What is kind of your what is, what is Rocco's kind of bedtime routine? I think it's really specific. I think it involves like I think that part of being detached is like strictly adhering to like it's very strictly adhering to like regiments is in order to be like this is just like this is a job this is how you do the job this is like how this is how we this is how we do this so i think it involves like carefully like folding up his gear and like putting it in a suitcase and like taking out individually wrapped like toothbrushes and things and being like because I think I think everything he takes out like is individually wrapped and it's all this very elaborate basically like you know it is the actions of someone who knows every like hotel routine so it it's he takes out all of these little pieces of like toiletries and I think a lot of them are little hotel bottles like he takes out a little hotel bottle of soap and he puts it there and then he takes the hotel, the the new hotel bottle, like the the bottle of soap from the motel that's in there, and he puts that in his suitcase because this one is half empty. And he's like, "I'm going to use this until it's empty." And I think it's a lot of like going through specific rituals like that. Awesome. Does he take a shower like in the evening? I imagine that you probably want to. Yeah, I imagine he probably takes wash one, wash takes off one at night. Both match. I mean, you might take one like, although there wasn't really a shower at the fire hall. Yeah, he probably um, takes one like, he probably takes like a quick sink bath in a diner nearby, but like, 
probably he wants to take like a longer shower now. Awesome. So Rocco, you know, takes his shower. There's a mirror kind of directly across from the shower and the curtains are mostly see-through. Mm-hmm. And as Rocco is washing his hair, he looks over and he catches himself in the mirror as he's washing the shampoo out of his hair. And and Rocco's lived... How old do we think Rocco is? Uh, we don't have to put an exact age, but a rough... Probably like maybe 40, like early 40s, between like 40 and 45. So just at the age where like he has trans, just old enough where he has transitioned from, he has transitioned from like the indie star to like the big name to the locker room leader to the veteran to he's just starting to get to the age where he is the old guy. Everyone's kind of like, why is he still here? Yeah, where he's more of a, it's more of a, like, we're bringing him into, it's it's now to the point where he's, like, he's expecting to get put into matches to put someone over who is, like, a rising star. Perfect. So I think between the age and just the harshness of the road, there's a decent amount of gray hair mm-hmm. in Rocco's mane. And as you catch yourself in in the mirror, washing the shampoo out. You notice that your hair is just pure black again. Like you were 20. Hmm. Like it was when you first hit the road on your first tour. I think I run my fingers through it. And like at first I'm like unnerved. Like at first I go, I, I kind of alternate between being unnerved and delighted. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Wait, what's. Like, I, I kind of have to stop myself from being, like, into it and being like, all right, I'm back. And then I stop and think, like, this isn't, this isn't, this doesn't happen. And so I kind of, like, I grab the towel and I just scrub it really, really hard. Thinking that, like, maybe some, like, shoe polish or something got, like, mi- like got mixed in with my bagged soap and has, like, stained my hair. As I try to like scrub away like this, you I, you scrub hard uh, and you drop the towel and you look at yourself in the mirror and it is still your hair is just shockingly black and maybe it was shoe polish maybe mm-hmm. I mean has Rocco ever I mean, obviously up until now he hasn't actually gone through with it but has he ever like bought hair dye thinking that he might use it. Yeah, probably. Like, I think he probably bought some, like, when he first started to go gray, because I think he was, he wanted to stay in that sort of indie superstar role and not quite transition yet. So I think he maybe bought some at some point and, like, has never really opened it or used it. So I think part of him is like, did I? And he's, like, tearing up his bag looking for this, like, old thing of hair dye. And it's in there. And it's probably, if I, it's probably sealed, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think. I think a good place for the scene to end is Rocco just pulling this unopened box of hair dye out of his suitcase and looking at it. All right. Um, So my clue was uh, the startling change in uh, in hair color. 
and uh, we will jump to conclusions real quick. All right. I have uh, jumped to my conclusion. I have also jumped to my conclusion. Perfect. I think scene four takes place probably in like a different motel, right? Like, I think it takes place in a different motel a few nights later. I think we get the briefest of shots because I think it's you in a hotel after your next show. And we get a br- the briefest of flashbacks to like another one of these rings that looks kind of the same. This one is in the parking lot of a barbecue restaurant. And like what we see is like people razzing on you. Being like, hey, I like the haircut, buddy. Looking good. <laughs> and like people like pe- somebody somebody replaces your switchblade with a co- with like the switchblade <laughs> comb. And they're clearly like needling you or dying for thinking that you needed to like dye your hair so like and so we cut back to this motel room after all of this has happened what are you doing what how has your routine like how has that affected your normal routine i think maybe without even showing the routine but just showing the way rocco's hair looks now i think it's obvious that he has stopped shampooing his hair mm-hmm. and conditioning. Like he washes it with water, but I don't think, I think maybe between like seeing his hair looking a little bit more brittle and a shot of like a full, a full mini bottle of shampoo mm-hmm. in his bag. We know that he's just, he stopped washing his hair. I think he just like, we still see him. Maybe there's just the briefest shot of him drinking his hot toddy. And then as he goes to pull out each individual thing, he pulls out all of the things we saw from the the nights previous, except for the shampoo and conditioner bottles. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you're settling in. And after you shower, you, 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 you go to like, I think we cut to the next morning. And you're going to pack up your your things. What's missing? Mm. I think as I'm packing up like my night clothes and pulling out, I don't think I have a match today. I think I'm driving. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna put on like the uniform. But I think my street my my civvies, so to speak are not too distanced from my uniform. Yeah. Maybe instead of a sleeveless white shirt, it's a sleeved white shirt. Yeah. Or like a hoodie. Yeah. So I'm pulling that out and putting in, you know, the shorts and the the shirt I wear while I sleep. And I notice that my switchblades are gone. In there, yeah, you like your switchblades are just nowhere to be found. And like you go through the you go through the hotel room. And they were there last night. Like, like the one that got replaced with a comb, long shot Tacoma, long shot handed you back your like your switchblade and was like, I we thought it was funny with the hair. You understand? We're just it. We're just ribbon. We're just ribbon. So like, you got your switchblades back, and now they're just gone. And you're and and you check every like you check everywhere, 
and then you go to check your jacket. It's the same jacket, like the jacket, you know, you know, you, you hold it up and it is, it's your jacket. It is the same jacket you've always had, right? Like all of the same patches are there. You reach into the pockets, the switchblades aren't there. You go to reach into the back pocket and you spot the only difference in your jacket. What do you do when you see the, the Ramboza has been taken off of your jacket from the looks of it? Or it's just at least not there. <sighs> I think I think I get angry for a moment. Not outwardly so, but just like a flare of rage. Like, that name is the most important thing to me. And the fact that it's gone, just it, it makes me so angry. And then a sort, of, a sort of stoicism replaces that with the thought that, like, like long shot Tacoma is such a is such a practical joker that like he must he must have just taken him mm-hmm. uh, and that pisses me off right because this this that that feels like it's too far right yeah it's a step too far but like I know that like I have long shots number I'll give him a call he'll give him back to me like it's frustrating. But it's not worth, like, raging out. And so I think I, I, I've put the jacket back in and go to get my cell phone. Okay. And I think you put in the number, like, it's probably in your speed dial, right? Like, like we said, like, the wrestlers are the people that you actually know. Yeah. So they're the only numbers that you ha- probably have in your phone. And I think that if Longshot feels comfortable enough to, like, swap one of my switchblades out for a comb, like, long maybe Longshot is the closest thing I have to, like, a, a, a best friend. Yeah. Like, we usually end up on bills almost once a month together. And so, like, every now and then we'll even, like, go out for a meal together. But, like, the closest thing I have to a friend. And and so you pull up the speed dial, you give him a call. What's the first, how do you start the call? I think as soon as I hear it connect, Mm -hmm. I just go right into it. And I'm like, listen, man, the fucking, the switchblade bit, uh, that was fine. But man, I need the I need the studs back for my jacket. That was too fucking far. That was a line too far. And uh, I think this is where our scene closes. As you just hear back, I'm sorry. Wait, who is this? All right. So we need to jump to conclusions real quick, and then we can go into our last scene. Yes. Yep. I have jumped to my conclusion. All right, so I think that we open with another wide shot of cornfields, and in the exact same way that we zoomed before, we're zooming in, and we see this black car with white stripes riding down the road, and for a moment, just a moment, the viewer is convinced that this is the same building in the same cornfields. But it's not. 
what what kind of what kind of establishment is this? It's it's so I think that like as we we pull up to it, this is probably uh, I'm gonna say this is like a gen like a a a very midwestern general store. Probably doesn't have a sign. It probably or it probably just says like goods or bait. It says bait. Like this is a uh. bait shop general store next to a cornfield that like also has like it also has a deli and it's just like eight different things in a store. <laughs> I think uh, I've known so many places like that. Yep. Uh in my time in the country. Yep. I think it also has a relatively large basement. Mhm. Which is why your match tonight is at this bait shop deli general store. <laughs> And, like, we cut for a moment from Rocco to see, like, the setup process. And it's a lot of just moving, like, crates of the most random shit out of the way. Like, there's some Christmas decorations. They have to move, like, a big plastic Santa Claus and, like, boxes of tackle and boxes of, like, beef jerky and just all of this random crap. And they move it to the edges of the room and set up. And this looks like the shadiest, right? Like, this looks like a fight club. The ring is like half the size of the normal ring. There are a couple seats set up for like the old timers who can't stand for a full wrestling match. Yep. But most of it is standing room. And we cut out back out to the Thunderbird in the parking lot with Rocco sitting inside. And this time there's I mean, there's maybe like three people standing around outside smoking cigarettes. And you honestly don't know if they're here for the show or for the bait. Mm-hmm. Or for the deli. Or for the deli. Maybe some combination of bait and deli. Like maybe they want to get a, a sweet sandwich before they go out fishing. Yeah. So what does Rocco do? I think – we see that same long shot of him, like, sitting behind the wheel, right? Breathing, se- like, centering himself. But instead of walking out in character, he just, like, he breathes, he centers himself. He, like, takes the takes his jacket that's, like, on the dri- the passenger seat. Like, he's not wearing the jacket as he's driving. He takes it and he throws it in, like, a duffel bag and just gets out and, like, walks inside. Doesn't look at anybody doesn't really like acknowledge anybody just kind of like walks in i think i think the the three guys standing outside smoking like they look at you and they can tell you don't want to talk so they don't try to say anything just walk past them they keep on smoking you go inside and i mean the inside on the first floor is as big a hodgepodge as one might imagine mm-hmm. a bait shop general store deli uh, being. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, there's, you would think that at least maybe there would be some kind of like organizational system. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the tool aisle and this is the toiletries aisle. There really isn't. Nope. Um, it's mostly tables and like stuff put on those tables wherever there was space. So, like, there's a table that's got, like, a socket wrench set and some toothpaste. Mm-hmm. 
And then like there's a different table over in the other corner that's got shampoo and bags of marshmallows. Yep. And some candy bars. And uh there's I think a an elderly gentleman, like real old, at the register. And I think it's an old timey register that probably it's not like a hipstery thing that like they have an old timey register here. Yeah, no. It's just that they never upgraded the register. So it's it's a good like fifty, sixty year old register. Mm-hmm. What is, what is this guy's name? Because I think he's the namesake of uh, of this shop. His name is let's say Jerry. Jerry. Jerry's bait and goods. I think that's that's where you're at. Jerry's bait and goods. Mm-hmm. And I think he looks at you and I. Jerry is not a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just. The promoter of this show booked the space because it was space. Yeah. So he looks at you and he goes, what uh, What can I do for you, youngin? Uh, I'm here for the show. The, the wrestling show. I'm a wrestler. I'm wrestling on the show. Oh. Yeah, he, uh, he motions and there's just a random door that says employees only. And he's like, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep the door open when folks start showing up so they don't... Uh, That'd be great. Don't just walk on by. Cool. That sounds great. Uh, Thank you. But you can, go, you can go down. You can just ignore that sign there. Okay, great. I, I will do that. Thank you. Um, I, and he goes, oh, he's like, you look real familiar. How do I know you? Uh, I mean, I've wrestled here. Well, not here, here, but I've wrestled like around before. I don't know. You might know my... You might also know my dad, uh, my dad, Handsome uh, Mac Ramboza. Uh, he's like, I don't, maybe that's it. Um, I don't know. Maybe you just got one of them faces. Could be. Probably just, yeah, I, I've been, I've, I've heard that so many times. I mean, that's what gets you into wrestling, right? I guess. I don't really know much about wrestling. Uh, well, you'll have to take my word for it. All right. Well, you go on downstairs then. All right. There are like ten people that come to this show. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's is this the worst turnout Rocco's ever wrestled for? Oh no, I think this is ten people more than the, the worst <laughs> turnout Rocky Rocco's ever wrestled for. I think that there are ten people means this is this is like I said, there are there are there are easily ten more people than have been at the worst shows that he's wrestled at. That is <laughs> That's so sad. I feel his pain. That's wrestling. Uh, but that is just, it's real sad. All right. It is. Uh, so, uh, Handsome Mac Ramboza, your father. Who was his kind of arch enemy in his heyday? Oh, his arch enemy was... So, he was very much... I'm picturing very much a, like... 60s era baby face so like a proud like a a proud immigrant you know like a smiling happy trunks trunks and you know trunks and wrapped wrists like immigrant character like i've come to this country to wrestle and to do good and to represent my community so i think his rival has to be like essentially a either let me ask you because we can go two ways with it okay 
it's either a Ric Flair rich guy or like a very like Cold War Russian monster. Mm. I like the idea of a rich guy. All right. So then his name is uh, Buster Millions. <laughs> and he was uh, he was a millionaire, <laughs> as you would imagine from the name Buster Millions. Oh, I love it. I really want someone to take this universe we're building and make it a real <laughs> wrestling universe. I would I would attend all of these shows. So I think that uh I think that you go you go you check the call sheet. The the promoter in this place doesn't even have an office. He's just got like a card table. Mm-hmm. Uh that he's set up uh and his laptop sitting on it and uh sitting on it is the is the call sheet you go and you take a look at it and it actually it says that uh that you are set to wrestle long shot tacoma mm. which is weird because i you guys i mean there's the weirdness of the phone call and you weren't able to get a hold of him after that so i guess and maybe he changed his number or something and you need to get it yeah but like when you guys talked you didn't talk about this show no so what do you do after you check the call sheet I think I look at that and I, I I roll my eyes and I put my hand my like finger to the bridge of my nose and I'm just like, okay, all right then, yeah okay, and I go find I'm like now I'm like active I'm looking for long shot both because like I gotta we have to lay out our match right we have to like lay out what we're gonna do and plan things out but also. I want to settle this. Like I want to like li- put everything out there and sort of get to the bottom of like what is what is good like what this weird rib that that Longshot is pulling is. That makes sense. So you go there's kind of like a a, a quartered off area maybe with some like like those old-timey like uh changing curtains. That uh, that is where the wrestlers are hanging out before the show. So you head head over there. What uh, what is your? I imagine that at this point in Rocco's career, you've wrestled long shot a number of times. Mm-hmm. What what was your favorite match against him? We had a we had a dog collar match. Like, I don't usually go in on the hardcore stuff, but we had a dog collar match. We're both wearing, we're we're tied together at the neck with dog collars on this big strap. And we just, we got told that we, like, that we were doing this and we had been, you know, friends for a while. We've wrestled a bunch. and. We had basically just been told, you know, put on a show, right? Like, we were told that this was basically just, we were told to make it a spot fest, for lack of a better term. And so we said, look, if that's, if all we are, if all we are is a little, is like, is, is like a spot fest, let's go out and just beat the piss out of each other and have like a blast and like cut loose and just go wild. And so that's what we did. Like, we just, you know, 
we we did all of the things that we had like laughed about and i think that we see this match like we see splashes of this match playing out and we see little tiny flashbacks as well or we hear them overlay with the match of us laughing and being like oh my god what if like what if i like wrapped up your feet and then just like grabbed your feet and like swung you into a turnbuckle and we see that happen and it's just like it is bonkers and we're just watching this and we're hearing the two of us laughing and we're just like this would be that would be absurd and and let's do it let's do it that's gonna be great and we just watch that like that all happen that sounds like a great match so you walk into the area where the performers are staged and I think the camera kind of goes over your shoulder and focuses in on long shot Tacoma as he stands up uh, and walks over and he goes, Oh, Hey, Hey man, you must be, you must be Rocco. I think we're supposed to fight. And he puts out his hand and I think the camera turns onto Rocco's face as this guy that you've known for years this friend introduces himself to you like he doesn't know you. What is what is Rocco's reaction? I think what happens is we see Rocco's face, right? We see a close-up on it, and we zoom back out, and like for split second, it looks almost like Tacoma's not there, and we're back in that sort of empty space, and everyone's not there, and he's not moving this time. He's just being in that in that space, right? In that endless void. All we're hearing is that groaning and that croaking sound. And then we pan around again and he just extends out a hand. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. And that is where we will conclude Act 1. So we jump to conclusions. So I have jumped to my conclusion. All right, I have also jumped to my conclusion. Perfect. So we will start part two now. We're back in the hotel. We are... I'm going to ask again, What what's different about... How has your... Like, this is... I think this is... That was not the first time this had... Ha- like, this happened since, right? You, you, get, you get not stiffed on pay, but you do not get pay that is commensurate with, like, your status and your career. You know, you are... You are... Tacoma takes hold of the match in a way that, like, undermines the fact that the two of you know each other like the backs of your hands. You're best friends. You get back to the to the motel. You're driving. You drive back. We see, the, you know, the long shot. You counting the yellow lines. How is your driving different and how is your routine in the motel different? After all of this is, after, like, today has happened. I think... My driving is different in that, well, I used to like kind of zone out and just not let the driving phase me. I think visually I'm, I'm much more anxious when I drive. If I see another set of headlights, I jump. I don't hold the wheel quite as tight. It's almost an inverse of my old style where before I looked tense, but was at peace. Mm Mm-hmm. And now I think I almost look at peace, but I'm tense. Got it. Like, like I just started driving these roads. Mm-hmm. 
and I think that I think that maybe similarly my routine when I get to the motel is sloppier. Mm-hmm. I don't take quite as much care in putting my my costume back in when I pack it away. And I think that as I pull things out, like they're not each individually wrapped like they used to be. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of thrown haphazardly in there uh, with all of the rest of whatever whatever's in my bag. Yeah. And so you, you, you clean up as best you can. You know, you go through your routine as best you can. It's probably the hot toddy is probably not the best that you ever made. It's a little bit too much whiskey, a little too little tea. Yeah. And you're settling in. And. You're flipping through the channels. You know, the bed is against the wall, so you're kind of half half like your back is against the wall and your 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 butts on the bed. And you you just start to hear from the next room over, like you, you can hear the voices in the next room over. And suddenly, crystal clear, next door, you hear unmistakable, even even muffled through the wall, you would recognize Johnny Grease's voice anywhere, anywhere at this point. <clears throat> And he's right next door. And he's ordering a pizza. I think that there's almost this immediate, like, light bulb moment for Rocco. Mm -hmm. Where he kind of just sits bolt upright. And he realizes that all of this, everything that's happened, the switchblades, the hair, the... Removal of his last name from the from the jacket. All of this was Johnny Grease. It had to have been. Like now he's here. Like, what are the chances that they would end up in the same motel if Jan- Johnny Grease hadn't been following him, just to screw with him? And so I think he like I think Rocco jumps out of bed and storms out of his room, still wearing like. His night shirt that I think he's probably been wearing this night shirt for years. And it's not that it's dirty. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's old and like gym shorts. And he just starts pounding on the door to the room next door. And you hear Johnny, you know, quiet, quiet. I'm on my way. Give me a second. Not as fast as I used to be. And he throws open the door, and it's the same shit-eating grin, except softer, less menacing, less head, less like sharks in the water, less less like a shark in the water, and more just like like a glimmer of recognition. That's the first thing you notice. The next thing you notice is he's not looking great. I mean. Christ, like you know that you know the road is hard, but the kid looks twenty years older, mm. and it's just, oh my god, Rocksteady, Rocco, Rocksteady, God, how long has it been? 
Oh my god. What are you doing here? And I think like I think that this is just too confusing for Rocco, which just makes him angrier. And he's like, I don't know I don't know what kind of fucking prosthetics guy you got. How why are you why are you fucking with me? Well, fucking with what are you, what are you talking? Are you are you are you okay? Come come please come in and like he opens the door open and he's genuinely offering like offering or like beckoning you inside and he's just like please come in it I I I, I is what is what is what is wrong and how can I help I think he I think he storms in and kind of just starts going through Johnny's shit and he's like where'd you where'd you put my where the fuck are my switchblades and, and the studs from my jacket? I know you took them. I know it was you. Switchblade? What are you talking about? I haven't seen you in fucking years. What are you talking about? You're going to come in here and accuse me? Of, is this some... This is a rib, right? We're, you're ribbing? We're, we're seeing each other. We're seeing each other again, and you're giving, you're, you're giving me a, a, a rib, a little bit of a ribbon? That's what's happening here? I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what you're talking about. We just wrestled each other like a week, like 10 days ago, two weeks ago. And you came in with that shit eating grin and I kicked your ass. And I, 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 is that why you're doing this? Is that why you've been following me around and screwing with me? Rocco, I, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I, I wish, I, I wish I knew, like, here, like, and he pulls, like, and he, like, pull, I think he, like, he just, like, pulls up a chair and he's like, sit, I'll get you some water. I don't know what's wrong. We'll figure it out. Okay, just give me a minute. I'm not as fast as I used to be. And he kind of hobbles over with the, with the, with the gait of a man whose hip has been broken and starts filling up water. And, like, what, what do you do as you watch him? What is, what is. What is your what is your 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 actions your mindset as you're as you're watching this like happen? I think I mean I think having established that like Rocco has spent most of his life like just letting all of the negativity of this experience of being a wrestler on the road kind of just roll off him. Mm-hmm. I think that I don't like I don't think that he can just calm himself down. I think he's in water so much deeper than he's ever been in before that he just, he doesn't know how to stop himself now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he picks up the chair that Johnny offered him. You pick it up and you throw it and then it like cuts. We need to briefly jump to conclusions. Okay. So I think the beginning of this scene is darkness. And just that croaking sound that we've heard a few times before, overwhelming and loud to the point where we can kind of finally identify it. And it's it's the sound of cicadas in an area without noise pollution, in an area without developments that have killed off large crops of them. It is just this absolutely torrential insect sound and we see 
Rocco driving his car. And for a second, we think it's, it's a similar trick as before where he's driving down the road and it looks the same, but it's not. And we realize that this time it is the same road. So the road that Rocco is driving down from the fire station match to the motel. And we see him speeding towards that old dusty road on the right. The road that after he passed it, the static first came on. And I think at far too great a speed, we see him whip the Thunderbird into that road. And as the sound of the cicadas swells even louder, and the Thunderbird pulls down that old, dusty country road, I think we will begin our journey into darkness. Okay. I think I'm careening down that road, you know, tearing through it smashing just like and the car is rattling and like i'm hitting bumps and it's just shaking the whole car and it speeds you know we see speed past we see jerry's bait and goods we see you know the the old we see an armory we see a warehouse and like every it goes from like just seeing it once to like every other building is an armory a warehouse a barbecue restaurant a you know, a city park. And it's just all, every single building is a ring, a ring, a backstage dressing room, a booking sheet taped to a wall. And it's just all of these venues all on this one long road as, as I'm just slamming down that gas pedal. I think that as the car goes faster, And that whining, croaking sound gets louder. The distance between, not the the distance as far as the iteration goes, it's still every other building. The physical space between the buildings grows and grows. And in its place, every time you pass this, this emptiness, it is now filled with the ever-stretching length of strip mall motels, endlessly the same, growing longer and longer, a tirade of, of motel rooms, all the same, no matter how different their location might be, just rows and rows of motels between each stop, between each ring, The radio cuts out, cuts back to static, just like before. And it's in its place. At first, it's, it's, you know, fading in and out of static is promos, yours, Johnny's, Tacoma's, all of, you know, our, what feels like hours upon hours of you know, this title belt, I'm going to send you home, you know, I'm, you know, just cross me and die, all, all of it, just hours and hours of it, 
all blurring together and soon that static isn't static at all it's that cicada noise and all of it every promo is just fading in and out of cicada croaks and that's all that's all that's coming through that radio as cicada call shifts to promo and shifts back to cicada call you look out past the buildings, past the motels, past the armories, past the fire halls, past the bait shops, and growing taller and taller behind it are the wheat fields that never fucking end, that grow constantly to surround you and to choke you. And they seem to be growing so tall now that the weight of them causes the heads of the blades of wheat to bend in and create an arch that you're driving under. That noise on the radio. All of those promos, all of those voices start to blur together until it's just one voice. Staticky, tinny, low-quality, low-quality audio. And every single one of them is Handsome Jack Rumboza saying every single promo that you have ever heard. You know, talking about talking about fighting Johnny Grease, talking about fighting t- Longshot Tacoma in a dog collar match. It's Handsome Jack every single time. All of it fading in and out of cicada calls. As Rocco is driving, who knows how many thousands of yellow dashes it's been since your first match, since you were born. It's just, it's all yellow dashes in this endless tunnel of wheat, this endless line of shitty buildings and shitty rings, and shitty motels, and shitty pay. Some pinpoint of light in the distance in this tunnel, and suddenly standing right in front of the car, is a person. I slam on the brake. You know, the car spins and, and, and almost almost flips over, and it just, like, you know, the back tires lift off a little bit, and I'm just, it's rattling and shaking, but it comes to a stop right at, right, like inches away from hitting this person. As the lights blare on them, it is almost hard to see who they are at first. And then I step out of the car. And I think that's the end of our journey into darkness is as I'm face to face with this person. I open the door and get out. You're standing there. The lights, your your eyes are just adjusting to the light. You've been driving in pitch darkness for so long. And you come crashing, you know, you come crashing to a halt. You stumble out of the car, almost throwing yourself out of, out of the side of the car. And you climb up and standing in front of you is, sure enough, good old handsome Jack. Looking spry as ever, looking like he hasn't missed a day. But you watch him, and like by the second, it seems like he decays a little bit. 
He just gets older and older. And, you know, you see him, you see, like, his arms just kind of, like, his bones kind of, like, shift out of place for a moment, like they've been broken, and it seems like he's just aging by the year, by the second. (sighs) And, like, all around you, you hear these cicada calls, and you look around, and suddenly you notice tiny little eyes looking at you by the hundreds, flickering in and out. And just scream, just, you know, Cicada's just screaming. And Handsome Jack, growing older by the second, waves a hand and offers you on and says, let's go. We've got a job. He follows, you follow him to a ring. Same as all the others. Same as every single one before, same as every single one after, if there is an after. And you climb inside, and standing across from you is good old Johnny Grease, looking older than ever. You feeling younger than ever, and it's... Bell rings, and you go through the match from before, beat for beat, note for note. And the match ends, you pin Johnny Grease the young buck finally pins the old dog. Johnny Grease rolls out of the ring. Handsome Jack walks you to the back. And there's Tornado Tommy with a microphone. And says, and he's like, let's talk. Let's talk to good old Handsome Jack. He says, no, no, you talk to my son. He had a spectacular match tonight. And you look and you watch Johnny Grease, like, limp into the back, throwing a jacket over his shoulder. And you walk and, like, you cut the promo that you remember, or maybe it's the one that you heard Jack cut. You're not really sure anymore. And your hands are shaking, and Handsome Jack pats you on the shoulder and says, You did good, kid. Let's hit the showers. Let's head home. Listen, heads up. I'm going to tell you this once. It's a hot toddy. Biggest, best secret, best secret in the book. Best cast secret in wrestling. And you walk, and there's your car looking pristine as ever. And you see, you just, you climb in behind the wheel, and you look in the rearview mirror, and the last thing you see is Johnny Grease walking into the cicadas as they swarm around him. And the road All of those little yellow lines, those little yellow dots, all those stars, all those eyes, all those wrestlers screaming at the top of their lungs. Take him in, and he comes back out younger than ever. Fresh-faced and new. Same as you. Both of you. You ran the loop. You start over. There is no end. There's always another show. There's always another match. You got to the end of the line. Some people just get there faster. <clears throat> you just know you don't ever stop that road. That circuit, that territory never stops. And you know that now you get in that car and you drive off. Because you've got a match against Longshot Tacoma in three days. It's going to be the start of a beautiful friendship.
Thank you to Jeff Stormer for coming on the show this week. Thank you to Becky Anison and Joshua Fox for such a wonderful game. Check out Lovecraft-esque at blackarmada.com. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Until the next episode, remember that you are strong, you are beautiful, and you are not alone. Please make no mistake, it gets much worse.